Hey, everybody, and welcome to Trashy Divorces, everyone's favorite good podcast about bad relationships. My name is Stacy, and Alicia, what do you have for me today? Y'all all got to get up off that thing and <laughs> dance till you feel better. Today, Trashy mm-hmm. Divorces of the Godfather of Soul, the hardest Ooh. working man in show business, one James Brown. Yeah, all right. Talent, showmanship. Oh, James yeah. Brown revolutionizes Legend, yeah. the genre of funk music with his unique combinations of R&B and gospel and soul, performs his way into being one of the most influential musicians of the 20th century. For our purposes, so many wives. Oh, no. So, so, so much trash. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Putting this in after the recording, but adding it into... The beginning part of the intro, because wow, this one probably needs a content warning. There are some explicit depictions of domestic violence later in the story. and Drug use, mm-hmm. evasion from the law. There's a lot. Mm-hmm. There's some true crime. There's some murders. Just, there's some allegations. Just heads up. Yeah, if you are sensitive to pretty much anything you could be sensitive to. It's probably in the story. It is probably in the story of James Brown. Protect your trashy heart. Mm -hmm. If you do not want to listen, we'll see you next time. If you continue to choose to listen. Wow. Really trashy. Mm -hmm. Really, really trashy. Okay. Content note. End. (laughs) Today, it is the trashy marital misadventures of James Brown. And Mama's got a brand new bag. No need to delay. Let's go, go, go. Stacey, I don't know if you're ready. I oh. love this story. It's, oh. oh, God, it's good. We've done Billy Piper I know, and Jane we've, Seymour. We've, we've taken a bit of a sweet detour, which is technically not our brand. We're getting back to trashy today. Veering us back? Okay. Veering us back to the trash. James Joseph Brown. He was born May 3rd, 1933. This would make James Brown a Taurus. Okay. He was born in Barnwell, South Carolina. James's daddy is 21 years old. Joseph Garner Brown. His mom, Susie, was 16 when little James Brown was born. Let's just imagine 1933, Barnwell, South Carolina, 21-year-old dad, 16-year-old mom. His sure. family was pretty poor, living in essentially what was a shack. No windows, no electricity, no running water. In the middle of the Great Depression, so life was hard for most people, but life was even harder for James Brown, like raised in extreme poverty. It is not just financial impoverishment uh, that is the struggle for the family. James's daddy abuses alcohol Mm -hmm. and often becomes violent when he drinks. The violence and abuse gets to be too much for James's mother, Susie, So Susie just leaves and abandons James Brown with his father when he was four years old. Wow. Susie's gone. Now, in many ways, it probably was fortunate for young James that he rarely saw his father because dad works long shifts as a laborer harvesting resin from pine trees to make turpentine. Wow. That's dad's job. And it's a lonely time for 
little James, he's a young kid, but at least he's not afraid of his father's abuse if dad is at work. Off at work, yeah. Break the cycles, friends. Break the cycles. James Brown said being alone at night at that cabin in the woods with nobody else there worked a change in me that has stayed with me. From then on, it gave me my own mind. (laughs) Eventually, James's dad realizes that he, in fact, is not capable of caring for a child. And James's dad sends little James at the age of seven years old to live with his aunt in Augusta, Georgia. Big city. Well, in some ways. I mean, compared to a cabin in the woods. Yeah. yeah. I mean, definitely in some ways he's giving his son a better life to send him away. But the aunt in Augusta maybe is not the ideal environment for a young child because the aunt was the proprietor of a brothel. Wow. Which is where James is now living. The light at the end of the tunnel in James's difficult childhood is that he was determined to make something of himself. He develops a strong motivation and drive, which, you know, leads him to do some pretty great things. He'll say, all my clothes were made from sacks and things like that. But I knew I had to make it. I had the determination to go on, and my determination was to be somebody. When World War II begins, James Brown was still a pretty young Mm -hmm. child, but he has a front row seat to the troops being deployed to nearby Camp Gordon in Augusta, Georgia. And the route the troops take takes thousands of truckloads of troops right by his aunt's house. Young James, already full of personality and talent, would go out to greet them and entertain them by dancing and singing and Little James does that mostly because he enjoys it, but also learns pretty quickly that an added bonus sometimes is when the troops would occasionally throw some coinage out Hmm. for his talents. James learning that his talent and showmanship, whoa, is appreciated by others, James starts singing at local amateur venues. By the time he was 11 years old, he was performing at the Lenox Theater. Big deal. I mean, for Augusta. (laughs) James was a popular kid in town, and neighbors or other interested locals kind of got on board and taught him how to play instruments. So James learned how to play guitar and harmonica and piano, but music wasn't his only interest. He's also an extraordinary athlete when he's younger. Hmm. But as you may imagine... With the difficulties of his childhood, James Brown didn't always have strong role models or very clear guidance, which leads James to make some poor choices and get in trouble with the law. By the time he was 16, he had already been arrested for robbery and larceny. Mm. Yeah, not great. James was sent to a juvenile detention center in Toccoa, Georgia in 1951. So he's almost of age at this point. Yes. Almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Born in 1933. Like, so close. He was lucky, I guess. I mean, unpleasant detention center in Georgia in 1951. Doesn't sound great. But James, right on that edge, Mm -hmm. lands there. And James's timing was really fortunate for him. I'm ashamed of our state of Georgia sometimes. The previous governor 
the notorious and racist Governor mm-hmm. Eugene Talmadge. That's the one. Who took pride in his harsh prison conditions and chain gangs. Yeah. Eugene Talmadge had recently kicked it. He had died. And the new governor, which is Eugene Talmadge's son, Herman. Yeah, that's how that worked back then. Was dedicated to improving the state of Georgia's image and had made some major improvements to Georgia's prison system. I guess that's good. I mean, like, the nepotism is obvious, but, like, to come in as a reformer of a system that was desperately in need of reform. Desperately in need of reform. So, new governor, different than the last guy, but same last name. This is crucial to James Brown's story because with the new Georgia prison reforms, inmates with good behavior were encouraged to pursue productive interests and educational courses during their incarceration. James also plays on the baseball team, but since James Brown's biggest interest and passion was music, it was here in prison James forms his first band. (laughs) James, you know, make the most of that time. 100%, right? Yeah. He becomes close friends with one of his bandmates. This guy is named Bobby Bird. Bird supposedly helps convince the parole board to release James Brown. Here's his big idea. You gotta let James Brown go because James Brown is gonna use his talents to serve God and sing gospel music. And sure enough, James Brown was released on probation in June 1952, and it was at the family home of Bobby Bird that he lived. Hmm. James begins singing gospel music with Bobby's sister, Sarah, at their church. But it doesn't take very long before James's musical interest had shifted over to rhythm and blues. Sure. He, Bobby, and a few other musicians formed a band and started performing James has a day job, too, actually. He earns money by working at a local car dealership. He's still singing gospel music at church. But his musical talents are definitely getting noticed outside church walls. I mean, there was a lot happening musically in the early 50s, right? Like, Oh, yeah. And the 19-year-old kid, I mean, come on. This is perfect, yeah. That's setting James up his childhood where he is musically in the early 1950s. When we come back, we are coming to his first marriage. Only the first oh, one. Oh, no. Uh-huh. And James's early career. We'll see on the flip. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother, But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Disentel, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Belisai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William vs. Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disentel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Trash Pandas. When you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and... 
I don't know, exposing official corruption, all in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project, an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Oh, James, let's talk about marriage number one, Velma Warren. Oh, Velma. It is at church that James meets a fellow parishioner. Her name is Velma Warren, and James and Velma sitting in a tree. They quickly fall in love. They get married in June of 1953. Shortly after getting married, James finds a better job at a thread mill, which helps he and Velma be able to rent a home. And they needed the extra room, too, because the couple had their first son just a year after they were married and then had two more sons in the next two years. God, uh, 20, 21, 22? Like, are we... 20. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Now we're in his early 20s, three kids and a wife. Too young. And to be fair, like, James Brown, not great in a lot of ways, but he never shies away from hard work. Hardest work in man and show business, right? James works overtime shifts to earn extra money while also performing with his band whenever they could. James is now in a musical group called The Flames. (laughs) And they were becoming successful around Georgia. I'm sure. In fact, he was getting so popular that when the group traveled to different clubs, James begins to get a lot of attention from adoring female Mm, fans. Interesting. You know who notices that? Is it his wife? Yeah, Velma. Oh, Velma, yeah, notices the attention that James is getting and starts going to more and more shows. Just to fend them off. Well, just to, yeah, keep the female admirers under control. Mm-hmm. But Velma continues to trust her husband. <laughs> Velma <laughs> says, we were protective of one another. I didn't have problems out of women when I was with him. You know, playing in a small town like this, you can imagine how it was. So I was there to keep down a lot of stuff, and he tried to keep stuff down as much as he could. He was just like that. But notice Velma here said as much as he could. This meant that James does admit into giving in to temptation of those young admiring fans occasionally when he's on the road. The band's success continues to grow, and the gigs are getting further and further away, and James is gone more often and for longer stretches of time. As you can imagine, not only was his professional success growing, so were his dalliances. Mm-hmm. As those increased, Velma's tolerance, uh-huh. well, decreased. Yeah. It would be James's indiscretions on the road when she was not there that would eventually lead to their breakup. Hard to believe. That story's going to come back around. In 2008, 
Velma Brown filed a sworn statement in Aiken County claiming that James Brown never served her with any divorce papers. Oh, no. And that she never signed any agreement severing their union. Does that mean that all of James Brown's subsequent marriages were bigamy? Just put a post-it note on it. We're going to return to that controversy. Fantastic. Just a moment. See, James Brown had perfect timing during the early to mid-1950s for his new and different style of music and singing. The big band era was coming to an end. Rock and roll was starting. I mean, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just boom. Big band winding down, which makes ways for other genres, including R&B and rock and bebop. Mm -hmm. James Brown would take all of these and combine them into something altogether unique and new and different. In 1956, his band signs a record deal and all his success really gets started now. James gets booked to play in shows with the likes of Ray Charles and B.B. King on tour. Of course, his stage presence, James, and charismatic presentation style was something uniquely his own. By 1959, closing out the 50s, James Brown was one of the major players at the Apollo Theater. By that point, James is openly having an affair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> openly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having affairs with his backup singers and other women. By the early 1960s, he and Velma were still legally married, but not exactly functioning as a married couple. Sure. In 1961, James Brown makes his television debut when he appears on Dick Clark's American Bandstand. Wow. It was the first time most Americans had seen his stage persona and the intricate performance he put on. It was a sensation. The next year, James Brown broke the Apollo Theater's all-time attendance record. He then released the album James Brown at the Apollo, which stayed on the charts for a record-breaking 66 weeks. Oh, my God. From a cabin in the woods of South Carolina. That's amazing. Exactly it. By 1965, James had outgrown Mm theater-sized audiences and was selling out stadiums. That same year... He released Papa's Got a Brand New Bag, which was a completely new sound. And many people consider this the official beginning of the funk genre. James follows that up with the mega hit, I Feel Good. Wow. James Brown becomes a staple of talk and variety shows, continues to sell out on tour. He is 33 years Hmm. old. As his success and fame was secured, James starts getting socially and politically involved. He starts a campaign to keep black kids in school and advocate for higher quality education for minority groups. He records the song, Don't Be a Dropout. <laughs> it was, you know what? This is great, though. Like, love it. Okay, continue. It's just the beginning of his involvement mm-hmm. in social issues as well as the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. After Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, James Brown threw concerts in some of the cities that were most affected by riots and violence to influence peaceful protest. James Brown travels to Saigon to perform for the soldiers. He exercised his political and social influence and recorded Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. Mm. 
This song became a type of anthem for African Americans during this time. In 1969, no surprise, James and Velma divorced. (laughs) Divorce allegedly? So let's get into it. Split up? Yeah, so to revisit... Velma's claims much later that she was the rightful widow of James Brown Mm. and she was owed a share of his estate. Velma goes on record again back in 2008, we never divorced. And of course, if that was true, it would invalidate all of James Brown's subsequent marriages. When Velma Brown made her legal claim for a share of James Brown's estate, she swears in Aiken County Court that she and James Brown had never divorced. Her attorney, David Bell, said, there was never a formal separation or a divorce. They just went their separate ways, but he always kept in touch with her. David Bell goes on to explain that Velma never came forward before because, quote-unquote, it's just something that she had never thought about. I don't know. I would probably know if I was divorced or not. Yeah, and, you know... There are their children. I mean, it's not like they were. That was like almost a twenty-year-long marriage. They had kids. It's it's just it's not like an insignificant thing that happened once in her twenties or whatever. Like this is so lawyers representing James Brown's children because mm-hmm. he'll have lots more dispute this and also pointed out that if in fact it were true Velma herself would be admitting to committing bigamy oh because Velma had gotten remarried, remarried. as well mm. okay mm. here's how it all shakes what down. a tangled web it turns out that Velma Warren Brown's claim was not correct the Augusta Chronicle did locate a divorce decree in Richmond County Superior Court signed by Judge John Harden on August 26th, 1969. In fact, it was Velma herself who had filed for (laughs) dissolution of the marriage on July 17th, 1969, citing insurmountable marital difficulties, stating Velma does the couple separated five years earlier. Mm. So Velma's issue is over, but that's not the only legal claim people would try to make for a share of James Brown's estate when he passes away. James is divorced in 1969 from Velma. Married 63, divorced 69, 16 years, over and out. You ready for marriage number two? Yes. Deirdre D.D. Jenkins. Doesn't take James long. He gets married for the second time on October 22nd, 1970. Hmm. So, a year or so later, a little after. Is this a new girl he just met, like, after Velma had divorced him? Nah. No. He and Deirdre Jenkins, Dee Dee, had been together for several years Hmm. before tying the knot, and they even had their first daughter prior to their marriage. Hmm. Hard to believe Velma would want to leave that. It's weird, right? (laughs) Curious, that real head-scratcher. James and Dee Dee buy a house in Augusta, Georgia, and have two daughters, Deanna and Yama. Although the couple often appears in public together looking very happy, all of that is quite a lie. The marriage is actually fraught with many issues, including domestic violence. James is rarely home because of his busy touring schedule. And not just domestically, James is now touring internationally as well. 
He had become very high profile by the 1970s and controversy was beginning to follow him around. His astounding professional success was balanced by troubles in his personal life. In addition to a troubled marriage with Dee Dee in 1973, tragedy struck when James's eldest son, Teddy, was killed in a car accident. Oh, uh, that's terrible. Additionally, James was in a long and very public battle with the IRS hmm. that began in 1969 and would continue on for many, many years. Mm. James and Dee Dee separated in 1974, but wouldn't actually divorce until 1981. Their daughter Yama would speak publicly about the domestic abuse she grew up with in her 2014 memoir, Cold Sweat. Yama details the violent episodes in great detail. While describing the abuse, Yama made it clear that James Brown never beat her or her sister but will write. Sometimes I think a beating would have been less hurtful than hearing the sounds of him using my mother mm. as a punching bag. Yama writes about how the domestic violence in her childhood home was a contributing factor into her marrying an abusive man herself. Mm. Yama writes, I'd been programmed to accept abuse as part of life. Witnessing my father beating on my mother would have a profound effect on me. That's terrible. Yama said that her own husband started to exhibit very jealous and possessive behavior shortly after they married, which escalated to violence. She said she regrets not leaving him after the first incident of physical violence, writing, I made the decision to stay with Darren. I loved him. It wasn't until a decade later when I was lying on the cold tile floor with my head pounding and my vision blurred from being punched in the face wow. that... I finally saw my marriage with absolute clarity, and I knew it was over. Violence was not the only problem in James Brown's daughter's marriage, Yama. In fact, it had all been built on lies. It was when his stepfather was having heart surgery at DeKalb Medical Center, mm. just right down the road, yep. that Darren Lumar met a young pharmacy student who happened to be James Brown's daughter. When they met, Darren had recently had his truck repossessed for overdue loan payments, and there was a warrant out for his arrest for writing bad checks, and Darren was also being sued for medical bills he allegedly caused during a car accident, but did not tell any of that hmm. to Yama. Their entire marriage would be fraught with violence, legal issues, business fraud, and serious allegations made against Darren Lumar from a variety of people. Eventually, Yama does separate from Darren, but before they could get divorced, Darren Lumar was shot to death. In 2008, he was murdered in a contract killing because of his business dealings. Oh my God. Break the cycle is what I'm saying. Break the cycle. Whatever cycle it is, whatever you had, find a way to break that because it does carry on. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about James Brown's legal troubles, major issues with the IRS, mm -hmm. and his third marriage. Holy cats. Back in a minute. Goodness, quite a ride from a shack in South Carolina in the 1930s to the Apollo Theater. Yep. Two marriages. Stadium tours. I mean, yeah. Let's get James to the... 
fabulous 1980s, which were not so fabulous for James mm-hmm. Brown. They were kind of rough, actually. Not only does James owe millions of dollars in back taxes to the IRS, James also spends some time in prison. He will have a complicated and troubled third marriage during the 1980s as well, but hold on to that. From early in his career, the thing I need you to know is that James Brown tried to insist on being paid in cash. Ah. Uh. <laughs> James rarely pays taxes on his sure, cash earnings. Yeah, the government does not like that. Oof. By 1969... James Brown owed an estimated $4.5 million to the IRS. That's in 69. Fred Davis, an Atlanta banker, who would later become a good friend and James Brown's primary financial advisor. Uh, Fred Davis earns the nickname James Brown's Money Man. (laughs) He said that his IRS debt eventually grew to $17.5 million. Wow. When James Brown refuses to pay, the IRS takes James Brown's PJ. Private jet. You got it. Yep, yep. The radio stations that Brown owned, his cars, and in 1985 seized his Brown's Beach Island, South Carolina estate. Oh, wow. Which the IRS sells at auction. By the mid-1980s, Fred Davis had gone to the IRS. And the IRS agrees to wipe whatever remaining debt was off the books after they seized a great deal of James Brown's property. Sure. But part of that deal was that James Brown would agree to pay his taxes in a timely manner in the future. I feel like this is the era when the IRS was going after Willie Nelson really hard, too. Absolutely. Yeah. The the 80s were a tough time for celebrity people. tax delinquents (laughs) well james brown was like sure yeah that sounds good i'll we're timely even steven sure if i pay all my taxes in a timely manner james brown does not do that when james brown continued to evade paying taxes not only did he rack up more debt but the irs then adds his old debts back to his balance taking james brown's tax bill up to you want to guess 50 million? I don't know. Uh, 28 million. Wow. So, I mean, that's it's a lot of millions. Still a lot of millions. In 1988, James Brown became inmate 155413 oh, at South Carolina State Park Correctional Center after being sentenced to serve six years in prison. For tax evasion? No. Oh. His prison sentence was for carrying a deadly weapon at a public gathering, attempting to flee police, and driving under the influence of drugs. Yikes. Let's unpack that a little. For the (laughs) attempting to flee police portion of that story, James Brown, not exactly sure what was going on in his mind, led police on a high-speed chase, not through only the state of Georgia, but also through the state of South Carolina, while attempting to ram police cars with his pickup truck. No, sir. I'm so sorry to hear this. That's not even the best part of the story. Uh, When the authorities shoot out two of his tires, mm. James Brown drives on rims for six more miles. This is a super dangerous situation. He refuses to plea out and was found guilty by a jury. Back in 1988, when he was sent to prison, Time Magazine reported on the events that led up to his troubles with the law. Time Magazine writes, 
Brown's fall from the top of the charts to a four-man prison cell has been going on for several years. In 1985, the IRS slapped a lien on a 62-acre spread on rural Beach Island about 10 miles outside Augusta, and he was forced to auction it off. His eight-year marriage to Adrienne, his third wife, has been tempestuous. Last April, she filed suit against him for assault and then dropped the charge. Wow. Among other things, he allegedly ventilated her $35,000 black mink coat with bullets. Oh, my God. Okay, so he's, like, just out of control. Yeah, we haven't he's... met Adrian yet. Just hold okay. up, hold up. Yeah. Just, woo. James Brown will serve his time in the South Carolina State Park Correctional Center. He was released in 1991. It's clever of them to name it that, because if you leave off Correctional Center, it just sounds like he's camping. Yeah, he's at the State Park, man. Has James learned his lesson? I'm going to guess no. He goes in in 88, out in 91... All handled, reformed man. I, I'm thinking no. No. Mm. He had not learned his lesson because in 1998, a decade later, James Brown was arrested again on an almost identical set of charges. Yikes. That time around in, <laughs> in 1998, his charges were discharging a rifle and leading the police on a car chase. Instead of prison, though, this time, James Brown was sentenced to a drug rehabilitation program. Hmm. In 1998, court papers were filed in South Carolina from a woman who was paid $35,000 for an undisclosed reason, but who spent two days at James Brown's house with him. Later, Mystery Woman X claims that James Brown had kidnapped her behaving erratically during her stay and even threatened her with a gun while telling her he was going to get even with the people who had stolen from him. This sounds terrible. Even this, though, would not be the end of James Brown's legal issues or arrests. James will be arrested on domestic violence charges in 2004 against his fourth wife. But we are not even there yet because we need to meet wife number three. James Brown's third marriage. This is to Adrian Rodriguez. Backing up the bus, February 1982, James Brown was taping an appearance on the television show Solid Gold when he saw the show's hairstylist through an open door. I'm a little ashamed to have to say this line, but James Brown said, good God, look at the spank on that woman. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm even more ashamed to say this next line. (laughs) Oh, no. Then James Brown asked his friend, Al Sharpton, to get her number for him. James Brown biographer R.J. Smith, author of The One, The Life and Music of James Brown, wrote about Adrian. Adrian Lois Rodriguez, 32, was an exotic-looking woman who had once dated Elvis Presley. Hmm. She was Italian, Black, Jewish, and Latina, And in some pictures, she looked like a modern-day Cleopatra with heavy eyeshadow and straight black hair. James Brown will marry for the third time to (laughs) Adrienne Rodriguez in September 1984. His professional life was busy, and he continued to be on the road a lot. James had recently been in the films The Blues Brothers and Dr. Detroit, both with Dan Aykroyd, 
Now it was Sylvester Stallone calling James to appear in Rocky IV hmm. and sing a new song. Of course, that song, Living in America, yep. would become a huge hit. Yep. It was a good year for music. Adrian, wife number three, was different from James's first two wives. Adrian was a little bit more volatile. Adrian doesn't back down. James was very protective of Adrian and could be jealous and possessive at times. He once stopped a recording session to ask a producer why he was looking at Adrian. Uh-huh. Adrian, though, uh, given right back, she could be possessive and jealous as well, R.J. Smith writes. Those in the inner circle had to make sure they didn't offend her. James had been married twice before and brought numerous women on the road with him, but this one quite possibly was a first. When you pushed her, she knew where to push back. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. James Brown adds another problem to his growing list of complications <laughs> at this time. What is that? His recreational use of PCP. Oh, my God. Well, that would explain some... Driving blood, six miles on the rims. Impulse yeah. control issues. Well, his recreational use of PCP, which just sounds altogether funny queer to say together, yeah. was becoming an addiction. And Adrian had also begun using PCP. Mm. R.J. Smith said of the couple's use of PCP, it, quote, created a whole new kind of rhythm in their lives, oscillating between crazy rage and operatic displays of affection. So volatility. Big time. James Brown's marriage to Adrian was a significant part of James Brown's life. The two had some very high points during their time together. Their relationship, though, was incredibly tumultuous, full of arguments, drug abuse, infidelities, and violence. When Adrian tragically died in 1996 at the age of 45, oh, no. it was even rumored that there was foul play, that she had been murdered. The police claim, however, they found no evidence of foul play. CNN has published a three-part series about James Brown, Adrian, and her friend Jackie Hollander titled Lost in the Woods with James Brown's Ghost by Thomas Lake. This CNN series focuses in on three women in James Brown's life. Part one is subtitled The Circus Singer and the Godfather of Soul. Part two, subtitled, was James Brown's Wife Murdered. Part three was titled 15 Questions Surrounding James Brown's Death. Hmm. In part two of this was James Brown's Wife Murdered. It focuses on Adrian. Thomas Lake opens with the following paragraph. This is the story of three women and the knowledge that made them afraid. One died in 1996. The second died of a heart condition in 2001, not long after alleging that the first had been murdered. The third has lived for 30 years with the fear that someone will kill her to keep her quiet. I just veered you into, two, into uh, a true see, crime yeah, and yeah. you didn't even, you didn't even see it coming. Seems dramatic. Okay. So Adrian's friend Jackie calls the police in Beverly Hills and prosecutors in South Carolina and multiple reporters just trying to get her story told. Jackie tries to get her story told for 21 years before Thomas Lake of CNN is like, yeah, okay, let me listen to you. 
Clearly, that series has far too much information for us to get into, but what's the major claim here from Jackie? Jackie says Adrian was murdered and there was a cover-up to keep it quiet. One part of the story includes a time when Jackie told Adrian that James Brown had driven her into the woods and raped her at gunpoint. The CNN piece reads, They talked about the week of Easter 1988 and the way their stories intersected. Brown took Jackie into the woods around dusk on Wednesday, March 30th, she says, and did not go home until the next day. Around 9 p.m. on Thursday, March 31st, Adrian called the Aiken County Sheriff's Office. According to the report, Adrian said her husband had, quote, stayed out all night and tonight, began to cause a disturbance, and got a rifle and ran her out of the residence and threw her clothing out into the yard. Complainant state subject fired the rifle at her after she left the residence. Complainant stated subject was high on drugs. Complainant does not wish to press any charges. I know, that was a big look from you there. Three days later, on Sunday, April 3rd, Adrian called the sheriff's office again. She said Brown had beaten her with a metal pipe. God. Victim had bruises all over her body, an investigator wrote. Adrian said Brown had fired at her again. The investigator found a hole in her tire, a bullet in the trunk, and a neighbor referred to in the report only as Mrs. Smith, who said she saw James Brown pull the trigger. Quote, unquote, Mrs. Smith said she saw him shoot and the bullet hit the car. Mrs. Smith had her cordless phone with her and called the police. She stated that she told the dispatcher he was loading his rifle at the end of the driveway. Well, we will be putting content warnings in our show notes. This is terrible. It's not great. Mm -mm. Not great. James Brown was arrested and charged with assault with the intent to murder. Wow. But the charges were dropped shortly afterward. He was never charged with Jackie's rape, but Jackie claims Adrian told her that she dropped the charges because she'd been told that she could either drop the charges, that's option A, or option B, be killed. Jeez. She then told her friend that James Brown had gangsters, private investigators, and police officers on his payroll. Have a feeling she believed that to be true, and perhaps it was. During their marriage, there were multiple examples of Adrian calling the police, then either dropping the charges or recanting her story later. It was made more complicated by both James Brown and Adrian Brown struggling with drug addiction during their marriage and both being treated for drug addiction at different and alternating times. After dropping the charges in 1988, Adrian tells People Magazine, I want to seek help. I want him to seek help because he's a good man. I know he loves me, and I know it's a sickness. I feel this marriage is worth saving. I love him. In his autobiography, James Brown, The Godfather of Soul, he wrote, Anytime you have two souls... Like ours, coming together, it takes a long time for the two to become one. She has a strong self, and I have a strong self. That is some twin flame, mm-hmm. not greatness yeah, there. Yeah, this is not... Needless to say, that investigation and all the details of those allegations and violence are not the focus of our story, but it is important to know the underlying issues before learning 
that Adrian Brown does die in 1996, age of 45, two days after undergoing extensive plastic surgery. Her death was ruled an accidental overdose. You ready for a little bit more? We still have I, one more wife, Ben. I mean... We have one more wife and I, a legal battle. He definitely should not have been allowed to marry again. <laughs> like, you'd think they'd put a kibosh on it somewhere, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Just, like, put a sticker on his door or something. Like, no, nope, ma'am. Nope. No, nobody, ma'am. Nobody, nope. This is not the door for you. We're going to take one more quick break here. When okay. we come back, we're going to talk about James Brown's illegal fourth marriage. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. And... His questionable death and battle over his estate. Oh, my God. Okay. So much. We'll be right back. All right. Last block, best block. James Brown hires backup singer Tommy Ray Heine in the late 1990s. Tommy Ray's talented. She's attractive. She's more than 35 years younger than James Brown. Why not? She quickly becomes more than just his backup singer. Did not see the sticker on the door? No, the did not. Maybe she went to the wrong door. Maybe. Who knows? James and Tommy Ray begin dating and eventually marry in 2001. Dun, dun, dun. Or so they thought. Oh. We'll get back to that later. In June of 2001, they have a son together who they named James Brown II. Tommy Ray says regarding that name, James thought his son might be president one day. When he named him, he said, I gave him my name because I knew that having my name and being half white, he might actually have a shot in this world. He could become the president of the United States one day. He said that this boy was going to do more than he ever did. I felt those shoes were too big to fill. Okay. It's going to be amazing if James Brown Jr. is the president one day, though. Right. But, well, (laughs) hold on. This story is kind of amazing. Okay. It's also that same year, 2001, when the controversy over the validity and legality of this marriage would emerge. What's the confusion, you ask? Well, it was discovered that Tommy Ray was actually already married Hmm. to a Pakistani man named Javid Ahmed. Tommy Ray claimed that Ahmed only married her in 1977 to get green card status. She claims to have divorced him. However, this was not true, and the divorce was actually not made legal until 2004, three years after After. Tommy Ray married James Brown. Okay. That's not even the trashier part. Hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Javid Ahmed actually has not one, not two, but three other wives in Pakistan. Sure. At this point, this is not even the weirdest part of this story, okay? After James Brown's death, there was a huge battle over shares of his estate. Unfortunately for Tommy Ray, a South Carolina judge ruled her marriage to James Brown as null and void since she had legally Mm -hmm. been married to someone else at the time. But she appeals, and eventually the Georgia Court of Appeals confirmed her status as the widow of James Brown, and that, in fact, Tommy Ray was entitled to her inheritance. However, Ahmed's multiple marriages would ultimately give Tommy Ray the ability to deem that marriage null and void, Since he was already legally married when he married her. Mm -hmm. But then, a South Carolina court 
said that was not a valid ruling because James Brown and Tommy Ray Heine had not remarried after the annulment of her first marriage. It is so complicated. (laughs) Back to when that scandal broke. After learning about his wife's other marriage that she had never told him about, James Brown apparently intended to annul their marriage due to fraud. But before James could get down to the courthouse and do that, he was charged with domestic violence Mm. against... Tommy Ray. Once that was all cleared up, he returned to his determination to annul the marriage by taking out a public notice in Variety magazine in 2003. It's so Uh, trashy. Yeah, this has everything. So trashy. All right. Let's get James Brown passed away. We've really gone through the ringer in this story. James Brown will pass away December 25th, 2006, Christmas Day, at the age of 73. He was suffering from congestive heart failure and pneumonia. His cause of death was questioned and is still being questioned as recently as January of this year. (laughs) His own doctor says he does not believe that James Brown died of natural causes. What happened? Dr. Marvin Crawford tells CNN, he changed too fast. He was a patient I never would have predicted would have coded. But he died that night, and I did raise the question, what went wrong in that room? James's daughter refuses an autopsy, so there will never be definitive answers about his death. Many people believe that James Brown was murdered. A nurse apparently confirms rumors of a stranger entering Brown's hospital room shortly before he died. That nurse believes the stranger may have put something into his endotracheal tube. Other witnesses have apparently said that Brown's last words were to his business manager when he whispered, They got me. Oh, wow. This is really a true crime story. Yeah. In a lot of ways. In a lot of ways. After James Brown's death, his other children demanded a paternity test for their youngest brother, wannabe president, James Brown II, before giving him any portion of the estate. This was in part because his older children argued in court that their father, wait on it, had gotten a vasectomy in the early 1980s. After Uh, James Brown got tired of being uh, sued for child support for children that he was unsure were his. Oh, my God. When the 15-year battle over his estate finally ended, it was still a little murky with who got what, and reports basically said that, quote, an agreement was reached, unquote, and that the majority of James Brown's estate actually went to a scholarship fund. Hmm. But the fight over... All that money in a state could be its own story entirely. It was one of the longest, most contentious, and most convoluted legal battles (laughs) over an estate that's happened in a long time. More than one marriage and divorce was contested. Paternity tests were ordered. Murders were alleged. It got really, really, really ugly. I may do a little bit of spiderwebs on that next week over on Patreon, just because that is where I have to cut this story today. Darlings, trash pandas. That's the very trashy life, death, and divorces of James Brown. Wow. 
okay, that went in all sorts of directions that I didn't expect or even particularly want to go. People have wanted that story for a long time. I hope you're happy. I mean, (laughs) I also hope you're happy. (laughs) Alicia, I'm almost afraid to ask about trash cans. What do you think? I don't know. They're all shot out. They're all on rims on multiple state chase outs. Sure, they got to get on up. Get on up is right. I'm afraid. I'm afraid to even go near trash cans on this one. It's a lot. It's a lot. Friends, thank you so much for tuning in today. I've just been sitting here being squeamish for a while. It's it's fun. We will be back this Wednesday earlier on Patreon with a brand new Trashy Divorces for you. We appreciate you listening for y'all telling your friends about what we do here with Trashy Divorces and Trashy Royals and Done and Done. We could not be having a more delightful time making this thing for you. True story. We hope y'all have the most amazing week. And until we meet again, wherever we do. I hope that you will keep your hands clean, friends. I hope you will keep your hearts trashy. Not as trashy as James Brown, though. Yeah, for sure. Woo! I felt good till I did that story. Y'all have a terrific week. Big love, everybody. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all. <laughs>